We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to talk a little bit of team building. This is something that's changed over the course of the last few seasons. And I always view the NBA in these five-year increments. I feel like they're they kind of move from one mini era to the next. And then every 10, 15 years or so, it's a, it's, it's a full-fledged era. And We've seen something, we touched on this in yesterday's pod, about a lot of guys going out for more and more picks. Mike DeJounte Murray, Drew Holiday, Rudy Gobert went for five. And so I think it speaks to just kind of a changing landscape on the team building front. And so we were going to talk about that today. Set the stage for us, Mike, on, on kind of what you're looking at. So I was looking at Tagathon. And for next season, 10 teams do not have their first round pick. And just to go through the list, so, well, I guess it, it might be nine technically because of the Pelicans show up there, but that's just because of a pick swap. So, uh, but Lakers, Cavs, Bulls, Wolves, Nuggets, Mavs, Sixers, Celtics, and Bucks. And that's just for right now. And Pete, you just alluded to this. Some teams have promised basically their whole, their whole draft every other year for the next several years now. And I'm always kind of thinking about this in a bigger picture and just wanted to hash this out with you. This is kind of a half-baked idea in a sense, but you've got New Orleans and you've got Oklahoma City and now you've got Utah and like they're going to keep adding to it. And now you've got San Antonio and you've got some of these teams that are basically going to be where Boston was the last several years where they have way too many first round picks that they can actually use. And so therefore, what is that real value of it? And Darius, how do the teams that aren't in that position, i.e. the Lakers, take advantage of some of that? Because there are young guys that you think are good, but haven't gotten to play over the first round pick that went just ahead of them. Or like it becomes some kind of a roster crunch and then they get into year two or three of the matter. So I would like I would like to just hash this out with you guys as to what it means about the league, where it's going and how it impacts both the teams that are doing it and the teams that have not and are trying to take advantage in some way. Well, one of the things I've been thinking about, too, just about the league in general, is how much talent is in the league right now. And that idea then, Mike, of having to house potentially 
like OKC, for example, that has something like 20 something first round picks over the next five or six seasons or something like that. So it's going to like average out to something like, oh, well, you have an average of three first round picks a year over the next six years. That's crazy. And it's almost impossible to house that many players when the league has this much talent. And it's hard to play that many rookies, right? Exactly. Because of the talent level, yeah. We were all making a big deal, and I think it is a big deal, for example, that so many of last year's Lakers are currently not on new teams, right? And look, the churn of the NBA is real. Like, there's only 400 and whatever spots in the entire league. And every year, there's going to be, who knows, 5 10% of roster turnover like okay well you were an nba player last year but guess what you're not this year because there were 30 first round picks and 30 second round picks and then undrafted free agents like austin reeves made the lakers last season as an undrafted Mm -hmm. free agent that means there were at least 60 players who were drafted who right and so just do the math in your head and so it's A super interesting point that you bring up, Mike, around this idea of what is the value then of these picks? How should a team who is looking to win now value those picks that are two, three, four, five years out, which is something that I think the Lakers are contemplating right now? But also, how should opposing teams value the picks that other teams are stockpiling in a trade? So, for example, there's reporting going on right now around like a potential Donovan Mitchell deal. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I was thinking about. Yep. And you hear, well, Danny Ainge wants another, you know, six first round picks for Donovan Mitchell. And that was the first package that he's asking for. But you look at some of those picks that the Knicks have and it's just like, okay, well, this is a protected pick from the Bucks. Or this is a protected pick from the Mavs. That's the thing about these things, D, is like, okay, this is something that is not going to convey for three years for a team that's going to be – you remember the Miami had a first-round pick that was unprotected that – everybody like – this is one of the hot assets around the league if you talked online. The point being is that if this is a 15th pick in the draft, right – like and and for a Milwaukee team, that would be like they're probably going to have Giannis for these next few years. Right. And so if they're 15th, like something weird had to happen during the season. So even then, that's like the very ceiling, most likely of what you could get from a Milwaukee future first. Right. You know who was the 15th pick in the draft? Troy Brown. We just signed him to a vet minimum on free agency. <laughs> yeah. Right. And now, obviously, you give yourself a swing. You give yourself a shot at finding a real like Devin Booker was the 14th pick. Or, yeah. And, you know what I mean? But and Giannis was like a 15th pick one 15th year. Pick and Paul himself. George went in that range. Kawhi went in that range. Clay Thompson went in that range. There's always going to be this idea of we're going to be the next team who finds the next dude who's going to end up being an all NBA guy that was drafted in the in the teens. That's right. But how often does it actually happen, right? Like there's value in giving yourself a swing at it, no doubt. But I guess the point that I'm making is that you're talking about what is likely to be a role player five years from now. Like how much value do you do you put into that likely outcome versus the potential to find the next Giannis, Paul George, et cetera, right? And so that's, I think, why we see more and more picks being involved in these types of deals, because I think that there's a certain, like, 
These are assets, but they're not, I guess, the shiny future first. It's always been like, oh, they got this many firsts from a team. But when you really look at it, it's that type of guy, Mike. It's a role player. Well, I think that's part of it. And then the other part of it is maybe tracing back to Philadelphia, but the whole conversation around trusting the process and tanking and essentially fan bases getting educated as to how they can rebuild and and the proper way to do it. And I think that that equation has swung too far in the direction of, oh, what do you just tank? Just be bad. Right. Just get the just get as many. Lottery picks as you can. I mean, how many times has it worked? Right. Well, that's my that's the point. Right. And if and here's the thing, too, if eight teams are doing it, which is basically what's happening, then how then you're there's so fewer chance of a team to do it like Philly made sense in a way. And I still thought it was a bit perverse in the way that they talked about it so carelessly, as opposed to even just like Presti discussing it in the way of, hey, look, guys, like. This is rebuilding, just branding it a certain way. Like we really believe in getting these young guys and giving them an opportunity to play. It's not about losing now. We don't want to be bad. Like I did a WNBA game last night in the Indiana Fever are basically the only WNBA team that's tanking. And there are only 12 teams in the league. And the teams that there are only four teams that don't make the playoffs. So that I really can understand that. You know, yep. and they also have Dallas's pick. And if Dallas doesn't make the playoffs, so I won't go too deep into it. But it's like they have all these young players. Uh, they're tanking for next season. And it's one team that's doing it. Everybody else is kind of trying to get in the playoff mix for the most part. Well, if you have 10 teams in the NBA that are all doing this same thing and then they're all just kind of committing now enter Utah into that fray for mm-hmm. next season. It's just a little bit complicated. But then I also get the whole like not everybody can be the Lakers and expect to have uh free agents and or guys that will come if you trade for them. Right. And well, and they've also flattened out the lottery odds too, right? So the best odds that you can get is like 15%. So, but yes, the the point is well made. And we'll get to the Lakers and how we kind of fit into to this. But yeah, that idea of future first D, like Mike's saying, you have all of these teams that are kind of racing toward the bottom. There's not as much incentive. And then how many times, like how often do you get a guy outside of the top five? If you look at the history of the draft, like the types of players that you generally miss out on, I'm, I guess I'm, I just wonder, like, is it worth some sort of future projection? Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, let's hear your thoughts on that, D. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mike, I was super intrigued by the point you were making about the WNBA because I think it ties into the point I was trying to make earlier about the NBA and talent, right? And so last season, and this might happen every year, I'm not educated enough around the incoming uh, slate of players for the WNBA. But I remember there was, um, it was either last draft or the draft before where they were like first, there was a first round pick or two, a couple of first round picks who didn't make their respective team. Like they were cuts, right? And that's what yeah, happens. That happens all the time. And so when you only have 12 teams, there's only 12 first round picks. And so how many great college players are there Every single year, they're all trying to break into the league. This is the showcase league, right? WNBA. They end up not making the team. And so that brings me back to the point because the league is just so talented. And that brings me back to the NBA as the talent base continues to grow and the league is as talented as it's been. Then when you project two, three years from now, sure, there's going to be churn at the bottom of NBA rosters. And players are going to age out of the league, but as players take better care of their bodies and they extend their primes, like LeBron is the epitome of this example. But I'm even looking at like a guy who recently just retired, right? Jamal Crawford. Jamal Crawford was in the league forever, right? Like, uh-huh. like oh, you, you, you're in the league for 16, 17, 18 years now. And these guys come into the league as one and dones. And they're talking about potentially in the next two or three years, um, like getting rid of that rule all together again and allowing mm-hmm. high school players potentially to be able to come back into the draft, right? Like after you've graduated high school. And so the talent base for the league is only going to get stronger. And the idea then, this is one of the reasons why I praise Jesse and Joey Buss, is because good players now are making their ways into the late 20s, early 30s, 40s in the draft. And then you can find guys in the second round or undrafted free agents that can potentially play in the NBA. And so like I'm recentering this now back to our conversation around how do you value then these picks, particularly first round picks, if you're the Lakers, for example, and they just bought the number 35 pick in the draft this past draft. If their projections are on point, a player like Max Christie could potentially have a seven, eight, 10 year NBA career. That's hopeful, but that's what they're projecting internally, I'm guessing, for why they actually paid what they paid and are going to develop him and invest in him the way that they plan to invest in him. And and so, like, I don't know, Mike and Pete, like how to properly gauge what's what around some of the ideas of just like, OK, well, how much should you value a 2027 first round pick? How much should you value a 2029 first round pick? If five years from now, the league's going to be that much deeper. How do you gauge that? And and I honestly don't have a great answer. So I'm glad we're discussing it now. Yeah, part of this, too, is just about market rate. And I was thinking about this the other day when we were leaving the grocery store and the whole family went and just how different it is from when I used to go to the grocery store, like was when I was in college. 
And all right, what's the least amount of money that I can spend to feed myself for the longest amount of time? You know, <laughs> and then your uh-huh. kids are, Darius, your kids are little. And, you know, it's really not that expensive to feed super little kids. But then they start to get bigger. And my boys are seven now. And you just you're you just have to adjust. And and you're like, this is what it costs now. OK, I know you don't like it because you're used to paying a certain amount. But sorry, it's triple. It just is. It's triple what you're used to spending. And you got to just kind of deal with it, even though every time that receipt comes up. Right. And I'm sure I'm hopeful that in a couple of years um, that will that will change some and and I'll get used to it and get out of my childhood spending habits. And then it's like, well, now if you want to make a trade for somebody, that's just where things have gone. Things are it, you're having to spend like a minimum of three first round picks to get an all star until some team whoever the first team is that just decides, I guess we'll just take two. It's very hard to have that move in the other direction. And that's kind of Pete, that is still the impetus of what I'm, what I'm interested in is how this continues to evolve because this, so take the, and just to bring the Lakers into this briefly, you can, you can zig, uh, zag off of this if you want to. There's a lot of discussion about if the Lakers make a trade for somebody, should they include that second first round pick? And for me, it's less so about like whatever the player is and what it's more about, they're going to need the way that the Lakers do business. They're going to need that first round pick for the next yes. time they try to get a big star. And right. So, it's not a matter of like, oh, our precious 2029 exactly. pick. Like that, exactly. that kid's in seventh grade it's, right now and like won't be good for 12 years. Exa- exactly. And, uh, and that's that's so. my that's where I'm at kind of trying to figure out, well, how you like that's what the value now of the pick is. It's not so much the pick itself or who that player might turn into if he's the 14 or the 17. It's the just it's like a number in in a trade that you have to make. And it because because the Lakers not maybe they can't just expect a free agent to come in because there aren't free agents anymore. Right. Nobody goes to be a free agent. And that was the biggest advantage for the Lakers in the past is that because everybody basically becomes a free agent. And then if you, if it's all even, well, which team am I going to choose? Uh, how about the one in Los Angeles with all the championships, you know? And so now guys are taking the extension when they can or they're taking that because there are financial advantages in going uh, re-signing with your own team. And then like, oh, I'll request a trade with four years left on my deal. You know what I mean? Like guys are taking the money. Like who, who can blame Brad Beal for what he just did, you know? And if he wants to go somewhere else down the line, maybe someone trades for him. But that's generally how business gets done. And I suppose the leverage point that the Lakers would still have would be if the player still wants to get there, then their value in theory should be should be less in a sense to the teams like in the whole Anthony Davis thing. Right. Where if, if, if word gets out, well, this guy doesn't want to go come to your spot. Right. But then but then the team still ends up getting this huge haul because they have to save a certain amount of face for trading that guy in the first place. And so I don't know if you get the discount that way. And that's the players really willing to go through their whole contract and say, no, nah, fine, I'll stay here and then I'll just walk there for free unless you take one first instead of four. I don't think it's about getting the discount. I think it's about getting the guy. Right. I think it's about ensuring that, you know, that guy gets to where he wants to go. But D, we see that we've seen that over and over again. Guys have a funny way of ending up in the place that they want to come to. And so so long as the Lakers are one of those teams will be in the mix. And I, I'm just of the opinion that the route to that always gets figured out, whether it's trade or free agency, however you do that. Like, that's just how it goes. Well, I heard someone say this on a pod and I can't remember who said it, but the going rate for a superstar player is basically now like, well, what do you have to give? And so I remember the Lakers got lambasted for how much they traded for Anthony Davis. But you know what they gave up? They gave up what they had. If they would have had less, guess what? 
Like they would have given up what they had if it was less or more. And they would have been pressured and pressured and pressured in order to get the deal done. And that's just what it is. And Mike, it's what Minnesota gave up for Gobert. Guess what they gave up? They gave up what they had. And it's why the Knicks are in a very interesting situation, because what they have is actually a lot. They have like seven or eight potential first round picks that they can trade. They've got all of these pick swaps that they can give up. They've got young players that they could give up like, oh, look at Obi Toppin. Oh, look at Emmanuel quickly. They may never end up being all star level players, Pete, but they are rotation players now on yep. rookie no, deals. There's, exactly. There's value. in I know this guy is good and can get better. We've got some info. It's not the 2029 20, first round pick who is, again, a teenager right now. That's not going to be even a viable. NBA player, like a quality rotation player for 10, 12 years down the line. That's somebody who exists now and that has value to GMs who their own job security is like it's limited, right? If you don't get the job done, you're not there in, you know, that, that many years down the line. And yeah, the Knicks are a team that has like five, six guys that aren't just future picks, but they're like the upcoming draft. So yeah. even the guys that aren't those existing players, it's not a 2029 pick, right? It's this upcoming year. And so in bringing it back to the Lakers, what they have is, you know, a couple of future firsts and like a couple of young guys who are on contracts that are reasonable in order to trade. And and that idea of cobbling together those things to make a deal, how much do you value those and how much do you value the incoming thing? And what is the decision making process around all that? Those are internal discussions that like I don't have any background on what the value internally is being placed on those. But I agree with what Mike was saying earlier that it's just like, OK, well, if this is all that we have, well, then are we really going to put it all in one thing? The odds of that is no, no, they're not. And I think that that is the appropriate way to value that quote, quote unquote value, because it's not just one thing away from being a championship team. Now, the Lakers probably thought they were that in 2019 when they were building out a roster because they saw a path where it's just like, okay, well, look, you pair up Anthony Davis with LeBron James. You've got two of the top five six players in the entire league like don't give us that sort of head start now and you're gonna make a run at Kawhi too yes or whoever else is on the market they definitely pivoted after Kawhi went to the Clippers and they signed a bunch of really good veteran players in order to get to the path where they were a legit championship contender the Lakers aren't necessarily just one move away they are and we talked about this a few pods ago with all of us that there are steps still to take in order to build this team out the way that it is or that the way that it projects to be a then title contending team and that's going to require some patience from from fans and it does require a within the idea of a short-term look right which is like two or three months a long view over that two or three months, right? Because it's not going to be tomorrow that a deal happens. Although I say that now and then, hey, we might be recording tomorrow about a deal. Who knows, right? Hey man, shake the tree. Whatever <laughs> can get a, get it going. <laughs> let's take a break. Come back. Let's let's talk more of the Lakers angle within this. So guys, I think about 
the Lakers from a team building standpoint. And I've always thought that we're in somewhat of a unique position in that we are that superstar attraction and that the maintenance of that, that always being appealing to the best players in the game is the most important thing that we can do from a team building standpoint. Because if you have the LeBrons and the Kobe's and the Magics, like that gets you in the conversation. You need to have the guys to, to get into the conversation in the first place. But on the other end of things, one of the great strengths of the organization is the scouting department. Because, uh, because Jesse has the last name that he does, he's, he's an owner. And so if you have talent at scouting and you're one of the owners, I guess the point I'm making is that someone like him, if he's not an owner of a team, he's probably moving up within whatever organization that he's in based on the track record that he has and the success that he has, right? But he's an owner on the Lakers, and so we have a great advantage of having not just a scouting department that's good, but it's probably the most stable thing that we have in terms of basketball ops. And like, there's there's not that type of turnover. And Jesse's been in that position for years and years. And so you can develop kind of an infrastructure and a way of doing things and just a an approach that I think represents some of our best institutional knowledge. And the way that that end up, ends up manifesting itself, Mike, is good role players. That's the, the, the kind of punchline of this is that in some ways we are able to create good role players in ways that I think I like the three-star approach. You have to do it right. You got to get the right three guys. But I think that our ability to manufacture, whether it's late firsts or through the G League, that's another mechanism of that adding talent to the league that you were talking about, D. Like that we have uh, the ability to kind of manufacture our own role players in ways that it's harder for other teams and in in large part because of our scouting department. So that's kind of one of the reasons why I value those future first less, which may sound counterintuitive because if you give those same guys future first, maybe they find a really good player with those picks, right? But I just think that, that those are the two polar ends of where we're strong is that ability to attract superstars, but also the ability to cultivate our own role players. A couple of things there, Pete. And first of all, I, I am with you on valuing that potential future first less as the player. Where, but where I am now, kind of the point of this whole conversation is that in where I'm valuing, where I'm valuing it is the way that free agency has has kind of gone away in a lot of senses. I'm to repeat something I said earlier, I'm valuing it more in that you have to have those available when the right guy comes up because mm-hmm. and that's what that's where the Lakers are different, I think, than a lot of teams is because like you want to go big game hunting. Well, there's only so many of those guys, man. Mm-hmm. I don't know what other in a given year, seven to ten max. That might mm-hmm. be a generous, right? It, although in the, the today's game, as Darius alluded to earlier, there's so much high end talent as well. But you're really looking, and I'm talking about the next couple of years, right down the line. They, they've got, they've got one of those guys in LeBron, and they've got another one of those guys in AD, um, who when he's when he's healthy and when he's right, can be that kind of impact kind of player. But who's the next one going to be to join one of them, right? And how are you going to get that guy if you've given up a bunch of your picks to get a third guy? that might help those guys. And that's the complicating factor. But the other point to touch on that you were, you were speaking about Jesse Buss in the, in the continuity and how that's an advantage. It's true, but it's only true in that he's good. You know, like you can get into problems the other way. Oh, for sure. Right. right? It's, it's one of the few benefits of having, we're kind of a monarchy, right? Like, you know, and he's one of the successors to the throne. And so like, if that, but when that person's competent, they're raised, like who are the, 
basketball people Jesse Butts was raised around since a little kid, right? Like if you're if you have the heart for it, if you have the competency yeah. for it, like no better education could have been had than a guy like Jesse Butts. So if he's good, it's a huge advantage. And what Jesse Jesse's told me about this in various forums, and I think the place that I printed it was probably the the Dr. Bus oral history on Lakers.com. But he so he would be just watching Laker games with his dad. And he was sitting there thinking, well, they've got Jerry West, you know, it, for sort of NBA personnel. Like, that's a great place to learn from. But Jesse wasn't really going to be able to add a ton, you know, to to that conversation. Like they had that covered just fine in terms of what the front office was. But he was thinking, well, how can I like how can I help my dad? How can I help this organization? Well, what if I just dove super hard into the college players you know, and started watching that and, pros- and tried to find prospects. And so that's what he did for years, for years. So he, even before he was hired by the team, was building up this database internally, and which that's he awesome. still has and which he can still call upon. And then it got to the point where he's he's actually working with the organization. Then he's in all of the meetings and then he's in the war room. And so he's hearing Jerry West and then Mitch Kupchak and, and all of the various scouts that the Lakers have had over the years that are excellent. And Jesse has established relationships with those guys. Then he established relationships with everybody around the league. Um, He's very well liked and very well known around the league. Um, He's got somebody on every team. So it's just it's just been this like steady, this steady, like if your dad was a scientist and you just were sort of around science all day, as opposed to your dad, like going to the office, you know, and then Mm -hmm. he comes home. Oh, what'd you do today, dad? Nothing like what's for dinner? Like they that's what they talked about all day. (laughs) You know, so he built up that that level of expertise. And I, I know that was too. Separate thoughts there, uh, Darius, but yeah. No, that was awesome. No, I think that the evolution of the front office and the roles of of like the bus kids and and Jesse and Joey um, in particular, right? And, and the ability to manufacture might be the wrong word, but manufacture role players from the later stages of the draft or from being undrafted and mixing that with the idea of who you should target from other teams, right? And this is an idea that I've brought up a lot in the past that on like NFL teams, you have you have like directors of um, pro player personnel yeah. evaluation, and then you have like amateur folks the guys who are looking at like the draft and and those guys who are coming out of those lower ranks right and one of the things i always said that i thought made jerry west special was he could look at the draft and say yep you know who i want to draft is nick van exel i'm draft him in the second Mm -hmm. round i'm gonna grab a guy and that dude develops into an all-star just like he could then be like oh you know what a guy who I think I really like is Sadale Three or Rick These are different Fox. skills. This is a great point. Like right. this is you are not scouting the same thing when you're scouting college versus players on other teams in the NBA. Right. And and so Sadale famously came in to be Magic Johnson's backup, and then Magic had to retire because of HIV. And Sadale stepped in and he became a starting level guard for a team that ended up making the playoffs still. Right now, they were no longer a championship contender, but that's a different thing. And I remember when they brought in Rick Fox and Mike, correct me if I'm wrong. And maybe you have this in your encyclopedic memory around like transaction stuff with the Lakers even going back that far. But I remember or I think it was Jerry West who said something like, you know, well, they don't think Rick Fox 
is a good player. Like, like, no, I want Rick Fox on my team. And at that time, Fox was one of the few guys who had actually come from Boston, right? Because he was a Celtic to come play for the Lakers. And that skill set of saying like, oh, you know who I want? I want Robert Ory. I want Rick Fox. And then at the same time, be like, oh, you know who would be useful? Derek Fisher. So you are taking these disparate parts of like player evaluation. And on one end, you are drafting a guy like Derek Fisher, who spends, you know, three or four years at Arkansas Little Rock in order to be an NBA player. In the same draft, you're drafting a guy like Kobe Bryant and identifying him as like, no, this dude is going to be the next one like we think we've got the best player in the draft. And that was a draft that had famously, right? Allen Iverson and Steve Nash was in that draft. All of Ray Allen, all these top end dudes. And it's now remembered as one of the best drafts ever. And Jerry West properly did evaluate that. So in bringing it back to the Lakers again, and and like this, this current crop, that idea of, all, all right, well, how do we meld those two ideas and and how do we master what the Lakers have been able to do with getting younger players who can play real roles while also targeting guys who are on other teams that that are going to then all come together to build a contending team Mike yeah that in that last point there has me thinking so some of these teams we alluded to earlier New Orleans and Oklahoma City in two three years from now those teams are going to have like their kids are going to start to grow up some and then they're still going to have all the first round picks coming in. And that's the point that I'm trying to figure out. Like, how do you how do you take advantage of that as, as if you're the other teams? And, and now what those teams should do, you would think they would make consolidation type trades. But guess what that means? That means more stuff's going to be moving around. And it's just the this is what I think the front offices should be focused on. Like, what what is that going to look like? Because we haven't we still to this point, Pete, haven't had a ton of times where teams are are starting to arrive upon their core, except I guess maybe Boston. Right. These last couple of years. And mm-hmm. what is the model going to be for that? And I, it's just something that has me curious and I don't have the answer for yet. But I'm I'm trying to think of ways that the, that some of these teams can can pick off and siphon off uh, picks and, and players that are going to be unsatisfied. So that's been one of the changes for for Boston in going from Ainge to Stevens is that Stevens has started to cash in some of those guys. Now, they haven't cashed in for a, a superstar type of player, but they traded picks for Derek White. They traded a pick for Malcolm Brogdon. They're trying to go all in, right, with a team that's really good one through eight, one through nine, right? Um, and we'll see we'll see how that goes. But with respect to like, how did the Lakers take advantage of that? I think really in a lot of ways you've seen that in like a, a Troy Brown, right? One of the reasons a Troy Brown doesn't get brought back. One of the reasons a Malik Monk didn't get brought back is because there was a glut of players at that position, like kind of the end result of what you're talking about, Mike, with all these teams with just tons of picks. You got all these young guys and you got these picks coming up is like Isaiah Roby gets cut when on a normal like bad on a normal bad like lottery type of team he's exactly the kind of guy you want like hey maybe Isaiah Roby can be a, a player for us down the line once we do get good but there are too many guys at their positions Troy Brown is an example of that in Chicago uh, and obviously he started with the Wizards but i think that that middle class of player 
if you can find the guys, but that goes into scouting pro player personnel, like Darius is talking about, because it's a different thing. That was one of the things that last year I had a lot of side. I like, I was like, did we watch Trevor Ariza and DeAndre Jordan the year before? Right. Like the other signings, like I could see it and all that, but it's like, yo, these guys can't move. And if you watch the games this last you year, and I love te- Trevor Ariza. Stop sharing our text thread from last year about, uh, <laughs> <laughs> did, did we not watch these guys play last Ah, right. And so that's the thing is like, you can look great. Jesse's been knee deep in college scouting for a a long time now. That's great. It's just a different part of the roster, though, than the pro player personnel. And so I think that I, I need to watch more tape on the guys that we brought in. And part of part of my hesitation on it so far has been, I think, where they fit in around the stars and who the stars are going to be. And we were talking about this before, D, right? Like, It's really, really going to matter. And so, like, I, I have general thoughts on each of those guys, but the ability to find the guys in the first place on the pro player personnel perspective is is really important and something that we didn't do particularly well last season. Yeah, and I'm interested to see how that all comes together this season, right? And we are going to go back and hammer this point, I think, that August typically is, the, like, the vacation month around the NBA because at some point in September, everyone's going to come back. You're going to start to see pictures from the facility, Mike, of guys working out at the Lakers facility. And then soon after that, it's going to be like, oh, it's media day and oh, training camp is opening. And then suddenly you're going to have the schedule and we're going to be potting about the schedule and it's going to be all of this stuff. And so the next month for the schedule, you know, that's my day. (laughs) Let's go. So, yeah, we're going to have that whole pod just for Mike. He's going to be beaming. It's great. So the next four weeks or so, right, is really that down time. But for the Lakers, there will be no rest because they are still going to be looking to try to find ways in order to build the team that we will be excited about once September and October does come. And I'd be lying. Personally, this is my opinion. I'd be lying if I didn't say, well, they still have work to do. And it's one of the reasons why I was super excited to have this conversation today, because the work that does need to get done, it involves all of this calculus that is being brought to the table that we've discussed about valuing what to do with the things that are in the future based off of the resources that you have available to you now and what are the strengths within your organization in order to build out a capable team. And it's an interesting intersection that the Lakers are at now around the decision making. And I'm super excited and intrigued by what the next steps are going to be. Especially when you have the very real and very relevant, in my in my opinion, the priority of you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis right now, right? Like, and that 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 matters. You have to build toward like we have a lot of steps between now and and championship contention, but you got to build toward that. And and so that pressure versus the how do you evaluate a 2027 or a 2029 first round pick and what you need them for. Super interesting conversation. I'm, I'm really glad we talked about this. We'll be back tomorrow to uh, talk a bit more. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left.
Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Let's go. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.